Welcome to another hard-hitting episode of Customer Cafe by Calabria. Calabria is a tool that turns good account managers into great account managers through the power of great collaboration. A great account manager is a team player. This podcast is made for those in sales, customer success, and account management as a place to caffeinate, ideate, and collaborate. Subscribe now for the latest brew. Let's hit the grind. Welcome to the show. My name is Menachem, uh, VP of Growth at Calabria. Hey, I'm Sharon Weiss-Greenberg. I am the Senior Content Manager. And we are joined today by Noah Mishkin, the founder and COO of CraftJack, uh, former architect turned digital and social entrepreneur. Uh, Noah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Appreciate it. All the way from Chicago. Uh, Noah, tell us, just give us the the quick, uh, you know, 30 second on who you are. Uh, I think you covered it all. <laughs> I, That's it? <laughs> it's as simple as that. Straightforward. Uh, I practiced architecture for a couple of years, realized it wasn't really the path I, I was. I thought I would be interested in. And uh, a little over 13 years ago, started a business with a friend in home services, uh, mostly on the lead gen uh, marketing side for contractors, but ultimately built a software platform that helps contractors manage their leads, gives them data, behavioral reporting, and all that stuff. Awesome. awesome. Oh, no, and I go Sorry. back a long way. Noah is actually a competitor of mine. Uh, and he's still in business. That just, you know, kind of shows who had the same, you know, the, the longer lasting vision on the, the home improvement contractor leads. Healthy competition keeps us all honest. It's good. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? For those of you who are listening and not watching, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I don't know, a lot of guitars behind you. Are those yours? Or there's like the fake background for show. It's a digital background. No, it's a uh, <laughs> virtual background. It, those are mine. There's a few more you can't see. Uh, it's, um, I would say, relatively speaking, it's my healthy obsession and addiction. Um, there are some of those guitars that will forever be, hopefully be in my collection that I play daily. And there are others that they come and go. It's sort of like the Marie Kondo. If they don't uh, inspire you and spark joy, then you set them free. So try new ones, acquire them, play them send them off to pasture it forward. Wow. So that many guitars and that's after you've given a bunch away. I think I sold four in the last six weeks and wow. acquired one. Oh. It's a, it yeah. ebbs and flows all the time. Guitars are an investment really. That's what I keep telling myself. And at least yeah. I tell myself and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're doing uh, well yeah. <laughs> based on the collection. <laughs> Listen, I, I have an uncle who collects cars. So again, relatively speaking, pretty financially reasonable. Pretty, pretty reasonable. reasonable. I collect shot glasses. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, obviously you're the CEO of, of Crapjack and you, you've been there from the start, one of the founders. Um, and, you know, we want to talk to you about sales. So what was it like in the early days, you know, selling this kind of beginnings of a product that maybe wasn't fully there yet? What's, what was it like to get started? Uh, it's, that's, that's a good question. What was it like selling a product that you're just first getting started? It was still in development. To summarize, I was also still in development. I think we all are. I'm always working on improving my knowledge and my skills, but that was the learning curve was pretty steep at that early stage. Cause my background again was not in 
sales, customer service. Um, I was, you know, as a practicing architect, I knew what I knew and I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, so yeah, getting into selling a product that was still being um, in its ideation phase and working out the features, what it's actually going to do and how it's going to function. Uh, that's a great question because I didn't have those sales experience background and, and knew what I should be asking or how I should be um, curating that conversation. So I approached every single call sales call um, as just a conversation. And I used it also not to, not just to my advantage of trying to sell a new customer to buy into our new product, but as a means to help design the concepts of future features and functionality of the software. So what does that mean? I needed to understand what the problems were and it started with my own problems. So because I didn't have a background in sales, I didn't understand things like CRM, like customer relation management software and how to manage your leads. And I didn't have any of that knowledge base. And I also didn't have any of the bad habits. So what I would do is in the middle of these, which by the way, are manual and or I would literally get a service request from a homeowner, which is, you know, what we do. We provide homeowners with uh, local contractors, give them estimates on their projects. So I would Google, a contractor doing that service in that zip code manually pick up the phone, cold call them and just say, I have a lead. I don't have a contractor to give it to. Would you like it for free? And do you have a second to talk with me? And almost always with a free lead. Yeah, for sure. I'll talk to you. And you know, it also goes to show like the cost of, of acquisition was really the cost of what it cost us to acquire that original lead and my time. So usually we'd have a contractor talk to us for 45 minutes, but I would ask them questions about their business tell them what it is we're trying to do. And then somewhere in the middle of that conversation, I would stop it and sort of pivot the conversation to be more self-fulfilling. I'd be like, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, I've got a problem because I'm new to sales. How do you manage your leads? And the contractors would be like, well, what do you mean by that? And so I tell them like, okay, you, as an example, you're a lead for me now. Like we're talking, let's just say you don't sign up with my service. Say, how do I remember who I spoke to, how the conversation went, we, you know, we call different dispositions and, and, you know, campaigns, but mm -hmm. how do I follow up and keep track of all the people I'm talking to? And they'd be like, well, you know, I usually keep a, you know, stack of papers in the driver's in the passenger seat <laughs> of my truck. And it was Post very old notes on the dashboard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was very old school. And to be quite honest, it still is for many, for many small business owners, uh, very old school still. Um, and so from, that process and understanding how they operate better, it would lead to my partners and I, uh, as we were building this concept for our, for our platform to understand what are the features that would actually help them to Im improve their efficiencies, increase some of their, um, you know, insight into what they're doing, take some of the human behavior out of the process and make it just automated. So that's, I, I took my sales as organic conversations just curious truly about who they are, how they started their business. And then it was, it was really mutually beneficial because I was learning so much about the industry and some of the things that influenced um, the direction of our product. Wow. So, so in that sense, those early sales were kind of a, a feedback loop into the development of the product. Oh, absolutely. And it continues to right. be, I mean, I think what's most important is uh, sales and customer service. That's your front line. Don't, no matter what business product service you're in and you're offering, 
those are the people who are on the phones talking to your current or prospective customers. And even the ones that are asking to, cl- to cancel their accounts or mm-hmm. to stop using your software, those are equally, all of them across the spectrum, um, equally important because you're supposed to be learning a lot. And so your customer service and your sales agents, reps, whatever you want to call them, account managers, anybody who is talking directly to the user is going to be the one that's going to have the firsthand knowledge of what's going on, what works, what doesn't work, and what is missing that is needed. How do you keep that alive? Like it, it was so apparent to you at the very beginning, obviously, but you're a small company and, you know, it's just, I don't, I don't know how, how big was it at the beginning? It was just you and your, your co-founder, um, right? Like, and now how big is Craftjack? Um, yeah. So at the very beginning, it was uh, my co-founder, Ross, and, and myself. And then we had two other people that were outsourced at the time. One who actually um, very quickly became our, our third co-founder as our mm-hmm. CTO. Um, so it was pretty much four of us, three full-time uh, working on the business in our verticals, our capacity of what we were, like I was in charge of all you know, sales, customer service, and um, we all collaborated on things like product and, and marketing and vision and stuff like that. But um, that was 13 years ago. Uh, right. We were acquired uh, f- just a few years later. And today we still operate independently, but we are under our parent company. And we've got about 45 full-time inter- internal people from every discipline of right. sales, customer service, marketing, content, uh, um, product, UX, UI, and obviously so how, uh, software engineering. How do you keep that and collaborative? We've got, we've got another, right. we outsource our sales, but it's huh. interesting actually, because we outsource our sales, but we outsource them to uh, three different companies, teams that we have been working with, most of them for at least six years, some of them for 10, 11 years. So like right. they are very much uh, a trusted uh, partner in our business and we know them very well. So how do you maintain that that sense of collaboration between sales and the rest of the company who need to have this kind of frontline exposure that you're talking about? Uh, it comes down to, let's say, let's say, let's say uh, effective communication, uh, the right tools to help you communicate um, and trust is a big thing. So we rely on everyone who's a stakeholder in charge of um, a team, a, a process to to communicate anything that is or isn't working and then collaborate. So obviously we don't, you know, one of my favorite titles of books is uh, death by meeting um, being kind of over-programmed and, and, and too much communication actually has diminishing return, but mm-hmm. uh, making sure that people are, are accountable and recognize that they are in charge of what they're in charge of. And without them, it's just not going to improve or, or move forward. So um, from our sales perspective, even though they're, they're outsourced and we have such a, a deep, sense of trust and um, camaraderie with them that we, we speak a minimum of, of our weekly meeting every, every week. Uh, but then also we at the, you know, moment's notice, we're happy to fly out anywhere and, and sit with the team and talk to them and, and, and share time, whether it's hours or days, which we've done uh, because they are such an integral part of our business and, and our team. So uh, it, it's just about recognizing that there is just like in sales with your, with your potential customers, your prospects, you also, with your people, no matter what their title is, their their department, that you need a mutually beneficial relationship. And so for us with our sales teams, we're in it to win it for both of us because it's about retention, uh, retention of customers. And so therefore, a high quality sale means everyone's going to win. And so there are different different things that we that we set up from a compensation standpoint, but also tracking and, and reward standpoint based on the quality of a sale, which you can track in many different kind of KPIs, but um, it has to be a, a good quality sale. 
And by doing so, you are, you are rewarded for the longevity uh, and retention of that customer. So too, uh, the higher quality sale, the better like we understand the customer's needs, the better relationship we have with our sales team, the more that they understand our expectations and needs. And we, we trust them and rely on them to also be, just like I said, like the, the front lines of our business. So if we have a thought, a concept, an idea, they're one of the first people that we talk to because we'll say, have you heard of this? Is this ever come up in conversations? And they're, all of our teams are happy to even test conversations out. Um, hey, have you ever thought about this, talking to a customer? Or what if we had this? Would this be helpful? And then they give us data points back and tell us, here's the reactions, um, the sentiment and all that. So it, it's a mutually beneficial relationship because we're both in it for, for one another's success. That's great. What, what's your uh, best customer story? Boy, that's a great question. So there's a lot... <laughs> One of the things I love about working in an You're like, how do I that, choose my favorite child? I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we talk to small to medium sized business owners most of the time, and they are some of my favorite people in the world because no matter whether you are an HVAC installer, you're a painter, um, a, you know, pools, anything, you there's a common thread which is like kind of business development and growth and management and all that stuff. So every single person. I think that we've ever talked to is hard at work. Um, they have their goals, which is mostly to, you know, uh, put food on, on their family's table and to do good work and to provide a service that is meaningful to their customers. So I think that in the 13 years that we've been doing this, uh, I have yet to meet anyone that I think I couldn't find any, any bit of inspiration from. I think the best stories for me, honestly, of, of best customers are the ones that um, have found the success that we have sort of set the expectations. Here's if you do X, Y, and Z, you follow mm -hmm. A, B, and C, here's what you can expect. So kind of training them during that sales conversation, the cycle, however long it is, whether it's five minutes or five days, or we've had people kind of keep calling us for months, but it's understanding. And I think this is about life as a whole expectations. If you set the right expectations, it's hard to be let down or disappointed. Um, mm -hmm. You might wish for better results, but you can't be disappointed if the expectations were communicated effectively. And then everyone's on the same page. That said, if you have gone through the steps of setting the expectations, here's how to get the best results and all that. And someone's taking a chance on your, on your service, your product, your business, they sign up and then they call you anytime in the future, whether it's days later or a year later and tell you their success stories and be like, this is amazing. I, I have the privilege and honor of mm -hmm. being able to host conversations like this um, as video testimonials with uh, customers of ours, mm -hmm. uh, regardless of how long they've been with our service. And they tell us about their experience. And to me, hearing uh, the success that they have created for themselves, their family, their business, their employees, all that stuff as a result, directly tied to the service that you are providing them, mm -hmm. nothing warms my heart more than that. So people who find the value, see it, experience it, and then they're, they're creating multipliers on that, like reoccurring revenue, repeat customers. And, and, and that to me is absolutely the best because that's what we're, we're providing. We're not providing uh, you know, a it sounds like you're coaching service. even a little bit. We're doing a lot of that in our sales. And I think that's part of it is setting the expectation comes with some level of coaching. One of the earliest questions we ask in that conversation in sales is, have you used a service like ours before? Because based on their answer, yes or no, we're going to take a very different uh, journey in that conversation. If they have, well, tell me about what that service was like. What was your experience using another service? And so now we can address what their issues were and why they no longer use a service like that. So mm -hmm. either it's helping inform us as to what their expectations were and are, so we can align them appropriately. 
And better yet, we can address their concerns, issues, uh, like directly, as opposed to here's a general conversation. I don't give scripts to anybody who who is a sales agent with our service, because you have your own voice, you have your own perspective, you have your own analogies, and we hired you for that reason. If I wanted a drone to just repeat what I have to say, we can all process and, and use bots. That's not what we're doing. We hire people who are good at what they do, who want to fully understand the needs of the customer. So asking them all those questions helps inform us on how we're going to steer that conversation to best address their needs. So no scripts. It's, it's a, a pure, like, kind of partnership sale where, where you you want your your sales reps to just kind of understand the needs and collaborate with the, with the customer. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's an organic conversation. And that's back to the first point. Like that's how I started because I didn't have experience in sales. And I'm by no means saying that this is the best model. This is just what's worked for, for me and what we have, how we have grown our business um, is that it's an organic conversation. We treat every sales call, not as a, let's call it, you know, the dirty word sales, but as a conversation, I want to get to know you just as much as you want to hear a little bit about what it is that we do and what we can provide. Tell me, tell me about it. We're not here to, to oversell and under deliver, undersell, over deliver, um, find out if yeah. this is appropriate. And, you know, I was the first one, well, and the only one really in the early days to tell someone like, I'm not sure that this is the right service for you. Like if it's not going to work out, there's no sense in selling a customer on your service. So that way they cancel days or weeks later, you want to create a partnership, a relationship that's going to be fulfilling again, mutually beneficial for a long time. You're developing the early stages of a relationship. So make sure it's in everyone's best interests and needs. Um, so yeah, it's an organic conversation that, you know, we'll give highlights, outlines, bullet points, things that we can or can't do. Um, you know, maybe concepts that help answer questions that they might expect, but never scripts. Hmm. So like, what's your, what, what accomplishment in, in building this sales organization and, and starting it off yourself? What, what accomplishment are you most proud of here over the last 13 years? This is a sales, this is a sales subject topic. Um, truthfully, the, the part of it is definitely what I said earlier is hearing the success stories of mm-hmm. um, some of our customers growing their business. Um, the biggest accomplishments that I truly feel about the last 13 years of you know, co-founding, launching, growing, and scaling this business has truly been uh, the people that work in inside the company because uh, I get to work alongside people that I like first and foremost, mm-hmm. and they have been them being anyone who's worked at our company has helped me grow as a leader um, because it's all you know trial by error. Um, learning from your failures, mistakes, what you could do better. And so having people working alongside us at the company has made me better professionally and and personally, uh, but ultimately seeing, seeing people who, you know, depend on their job and we're the ones helping them pay their bills and uh, giving opportunities. Anytime we have a new role that we're introducing, I'm very proud of that because it shows that we're growing. It shows that our needs have increased and that we now have yet even just one more opportunity to give somebody hopefully a great experience working with a great work-life balance. A lot of companies have quote unquote core values and values in general that often are just plastered in an employee handbook or on the wall, but you really, you preach it a lot. Um, and it sounds like you practice it as well. And I wanted to talk about that a bit more. Also on LinkedIn, you, you post quite often about that. How do values play into 
you, you and your leadership and the work environment that you try to cultivate? You know, core values is a, it's the hallmark, I think, of a well-guided and successful business. It shows that you have direction. It shows that you have um, principles uh, that are founded, uh, the company's founded upon. Uh, we could always do better at making sure we are living those values. Um, it's part of growth-minded uh, mode of operation is continue to improve on that. And we do, we do edit or refine our core values uh, every so often when we feel like the world has changed, we have changed. So therefore some of our core values need to be uh, defined a little bit better. We'll do that. And a lot of that credit goes to Chris Brown, our CEO, um, one of the greatest people I've ever worked with. He's awesome. Great leader. And how did you know, sorry to interrupt, but how did you know, like how, how are you alerted that those values were off and you needed to revisit them? How do, how do you go about feedback and that sort it's, of process? Yeah, it's a combination of sort of subjective perspective, feedback, uh, sentiment. If you feel like you keep hearing um, complaints or feedback or or thoughts being shared over a, a period where you're like, well, this seems to be happening a lot and it actually is against our core values. Let's talk about that. Let's address this. And right now we're actually in the midst of making sure that our core values, even though it's something that we we revisit and re- remind ourselves at every single monthly standup, as well as our quarterly business reviews, it's something that we're constantly looking at. I think there's always a way for us to improve on making sure that we are holding ourselves accountable to those core values. So core values are important. And one of the things that I had done actually at the beginning of this year was establish my own personal core values, which is what you saw on, on LinkedIn. I realized that I have my core values for for our company, but I also have my own personal core values and they should be sympathetic and support one another. Mm -hmm. Um, But who am I? What's important to me? And I think that that's important for people to know who it is that they're dealing with or working alongside and what's important to me, how I operate, how I think, you know. So I developed at the beginning of this year, my own set of core values, which you can see on LinkedIn. Um, And then what I did was- Quickly tell us what they are. Okay, sure. <laughs> Happy to tell you what they are. What I'll say before I go through my core values is I also performed an exercise as Sharon, you were saying like companies have their own core values. So mm-hmm. Craftjack, our, our company has our own core values. Mm-hmm. And then our parent company, Angie has their own core values. So what I did was I also um, went through all of those respective mm-hmm. core values. And then I, I, I showed, I demonstrated how each one of my core values fits within a Craftjack core value and our parent company's core value. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way to basically show how they support one another. And, you know, this, this is, that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're supposed to be growing personally and professionally by way of that, that, that balance and that opportunity to learn. So, mm-hmm. all right. So Noah's core values. Um, and I, I'll just run through them. And if you want to expand on anyone, I'm happy to, but uh, number one is strive for excellence. Uh, number two is growth minded. You're always curious. Uh, number three, three is be reliable. Uh, four, maintain expectations. Number five, ask good questions. Number six, prioritize people. And the final one, number seven, is operate within a meritocracy. So if we want to go through those really quickly, like strive for excellence. You know, good enough is okay, but that's okay for now. You should continue to push it further to see basically um, how much better can it get an idea, a product, a concept keep pushing it because you can continue to develop something. And I don't think you'll ever get to perfection. So make sure that, you know, as part of, you know, number four, maintain expectations, remind yourself that 
perfect is not what you're striving for. You're striving for great um, and excellence, but for now, good enough can work as long as you're committed to continue pushing it. Um, it reminds me of, I have a PhD and like my goal was to finish. Like there's some things that I do in life that I'm like, I just, I, I signed up for a 4k swim. My goal was not to die and to finish. And then once I was actually on the swim, I'm like, you I'd succeeded like at not dying. It's finishing it's and not dying. Are, yeah. Your goal. Yeah. So like, I, I appreciate that, that sometimes, you know, when you get into this, a lot of companies in sales, like I think this really affects a lot of companies, this, you know, it's almost an obsession of refining and refining and refining. And then at some point you got to, you got to keep going, you know? Well, you have to, you have, you have to calculate the cost benefit analysis. There is diminishing returns at a certain point where you can continue to push something, but what is the cost Mm -hmm. of your time and maybe obsession in pushing it beyond where it actually is demonstrating any reasonable improvements at a certain point, it's, good enough or excellent is great. You can't get to perfection. Otherwise you're going to go crazy. And it's, it's unreasonable to set those, those expectations. And there is no perfect. I mean, part of what you're saying is even your values you're revisiting, right? Okay. You can also put it this way. If if you think you're going to get to perfection and let's just humor ourselves and say that you get to perfection, likely by the time you get to what you perceive as perfection, you it's, it's about time to revise it and change it because the world has changed and the environment has changed and what your needs have changed. So if you do eventually get to perfection, my, my guess is at that point, it's already outdated. And it's almost as though like some of those values conflict with the, that value of like, you know, you can't, you can't always be growing or I don't remember how you phrased that, but like, you know, growth minded, growth minded, but also striving for excellence. Like they're, they're both good things to be focused on, but if you're always growing, like you're not like, you're not, if, you're if not you've, satisfied, satiated. Right. Like, like there's this kind of a, a give and take between them of sure, like, absolutely. And you have to figure out where that right. balance is. Like, you know, so number two growth minded is basically stating that you're curious, your, your curiosity right. resides in the, what you want to learn, what you don't know, what you want to research. I mean, ideas come from out of nowhere. And in my opinion, when you want to improve, ideate, create new product ideas and concepts or a whole new business for that matter, You'll likely have a hundred ideas before one of them is truly viable and good. And so if you, if you're not curious, what you're saying is, I think I know everything, first of all. And the second Mm -hmm. thing is that I assume that I'm going to hit it out of the park 100% of the time. The next good idea is just going to come to me. But if you're curious, you're going to keep exploring. So anytime somebody says something to me, or I read in a book or an article, or I hear it in conversation, a concept, a theory why I start jumping into research on that theory. And sometimes those end up just making me more well-informed and uh, okay, that was interesting. And that's where it ends. And that's fine. Sometimes they lead to the curiosity that I see as opportunity for personal and like team growth. And I turn it into what becomes a workshop. Um, And sometimes it leads to a product innovation because it was, it was such a important foundation, this concept that it grew into something bigger. And that's where ideas come from. If you're not curious, you're not going to grow. If you're not curious, then yeah, maybe your you know, ignorance is bliss. Like I'm comfortable where I'm at and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. These, that's why they are Noah's core values, not universal right. principles. I just want to say like legit. Um, I was talking to Noah before, you know, in preparation for the podcast and he said, Oh, I have so many notes, you know, I've lost, I have notes on this and notes on that. Like he doesn't just read and take it in. He just figured out a way to organize it for posterity so that he could bring it back to, you know, for himself and, and for us today. Notes are important. And it's important. You know, this is like a pro tip. I just told somebody yesterday about this important first of all, to figure out how you work and what best suits your mind and your needs. For me, I know that um, 
with my ADHD brain, if I'm not using tools to manage myself, it's, it's gone. It's not going to work. So one of the things I, I rely on very heavily is my cloud-based notes app, which syncs obviously with my phone and also my computer. It doesn't matter where I am. If something, an idea sparks, I don't mean an interesting idea. I just mean an idea. And mm-hmm. that, and then, you know, maybe it sits, maybe just that one line that I thought of in that moment sits there untouched forever or maybe for, for years. But at some point I might look at it and be like, oh, that was interesting. Let me explore that further. Point is you've documented as opposed to just letting it enter your brain and then escape through your ear and then it's gone forever. What, what notes app do you use? Just the notes on iPhone? As a non-endorsement, uh, I use Bear. It's a B-E-A-R. It's a pretty basic cloud-based notes app. I used to use um, Evernote mm-hmm. and okay. Evernote is incredible. But one of the things I found was, again, because of who I am and how I think and function, both for better and worse, is it has so many rich features. It's sort of like the Salesforce of notes where it's so feature rich and heavy that I was distracted by its functionality and it actually prevented me from being using it efficiently. So Bear is a much more basic bear down version of, of that and allows me to like take notes quick and dirty you can edit it and clean it up. That's fine, but that's not its purpose. Its, its intention is to get your ideas down and have them accessible anytime you want. Wow. All right. Well, thanks a lot to Bear, official uh, <laughs> sponsor of the- if they want to sponsor, let us know. Future sponsor of a uh, future episode? Not um, actually a sponsor, asterisk. Because <laughs> we're in sales, we can do that. Um, hopefully, hopefully anticipated sponsor. Let us know if you'd like to sponsor <laughs> us, if you're listening. Um, I want to ask when it comes to growth minded in that's, you said that's your own individual um, core value, but let's say it's maybe also overlapping with, um, with a company value um, or, or just in general, part of being growth minded is sharing that knowledge. You know, do yeah, you sure. share notes with friends? Do you have like a, like, like a book club of your own little book of notes or whatever? Like how, how do you share and collaborate on that front? We have a lot of book clubs. Uh, we, we use a, a variety of software tools and, and suites that allow us to collaborate um, efficiently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it really comes down to what is universally accessible to our entire team on things that need to be accessible and things that are more department related only. Uh, they can use whatever tools they want. So, I mean, I personally, again, down and dirty, what's easiest. I use a lot of like the Google you know, like Google Docs and collaborate with people on there. Um, we use AHA and, and, you know, Jira, a few other things that that allow us to collaborate with people on a professional level. When things are more um, casual, uh, you can do whatever you want. You can get a group on Slack. But um, yeah, I, I sharing your information, we use, we have a variety of Slack channels based on subject matter, as I think a lot of companies now do. Sure. Um, and it's up to you whether you want to participate in most of them or not. Um, things like, you know, share some of your, your photos, inspiration from your recent travel on PTO or, um, you know, pet photos and kids and all that stuff. But we also have ones that are on ideation collaboration and, and those are all, you know, volunteer. If you want to be part of innovation and and helping the company grow, feel free to, to join that conversation. Um, and then the other, the other thing that we do is we have certain ones that are, you know, required. Like if it's something that's important for the entire business to know, like, by the way, we're, we're, we're going to be closed tomorrow. Uh, those are things. But one of the other things that I actually came up with uh, about a year and a half ago 
what we realized was in the early stages of the pandemic during the quarantine, we went from being like many companies in person completely to completely remote. And we have had a very strong, rich culture and camaraderie in the office and people truly care. It doesn't matter which department you're in or what your title is. People are always jumping at the opportunity to help. Hey, I heard you're working on this. Could I help run this data set? Um, would you like me to throw together some graphics some visuals? Hey, could I jump on the phone with you one day? It's, it's a wonderful, I hate to use the word family because I think it's overused in business, but we're a wonderful family that care about each Do other. It. Yeah. In those early stages um, where you're no longer seeing each other face-to-face, I call it the, the YouTube comments um, syndrome, uh, which is if I don't see you, you're not a human being. And our relationship breaks down very small, but materialistically. Like it's like, it's, um, you start losing certain patience mm-hmm. unintentionally over a long period of time. And we got to a point about six months into the pandemic when there was a lot of confusion. Why are we working on this? What does this have to do with our core values? How does this fit into our annual goals? Why was this prioritized? This project doesn't seem important enough. Where's my thing? Like, like, how does this like actually matter to the customers? Have we asked them what they, you know, all these questions, like people were unfamiliar with some of the new projects we're working on. And after interviewing a whole bunch of stakeholders over the course of like too many days and, and weeks, uh, it, it was like the perfect example of like almost like Occam's razor, like the most obvious solution is probably the best one. This idea of how to solve our, our communication um, went from this to down to like a simple um, video series that I created. Uh, it's an internal, let's call it a video podcast, much like this, where I interviewed stakeholders and I literally called the series what is that? Because that's really the question that everyone wants to know. What is that? Why? And uh, I talked to people who are running new projects, products, initiatives, ideas, even talking about certain disciplines. You know, tell me about your role. What is it? It's sort of a newer role in corporate America. Why are, why are we hiring people in this, in this facility uh, to do this? Like, what does it mean to our company? And so we talk a little bit about like, it's like emerging business and mm-hmm. edit, edit it down to sub 15 minute video, something that is very digestible, uh, gives you more information about the subject than you would likely have patience to read in an email or Slack message. Um, but not so much that, that it's a burden to watch it. And also, you know, pro tip, if you want, you can set the playback speed to like one and a half X. So you get through it faster, but it's a, you know, small digestible video that we publish all the time that explains everything going on in the company. So if you're interested and curious, you can just watch that video and be more well-informed. It also has uh, an added value, which I didn't predict uh, with, as far as like onboarding and training goes. When you have somebody who's new to the company, if ever they come across, you know, your vernacular is unique to yourself and a concept or, you know, what does this mean? Here's the playlist. You can watch any video you want at any time on that subject. So it's kind of a fun archive. Uh, and I we have a good time in the conversations. I learn a lot about about what we're doing as a result too, which is just really great. So how much of that kind of asynchronous collaboration, uh, which is kind of what you're describing here is, is like, is crucial in the training of a, you know, of a team, like, you know, we're interested in in specifically the sales team, but you know, really any, any part of the company developing Uh, that sort of asset. Yeah. To me, it comes down to what are the things I need to know Mm -hmm. and what are the things I want to know? So need to know would be, you know, what information do you need to know to do your job effectively and successfully for yourself and for the company at large? I often look at employment as 
when we talk about performance reviews or just like having the wonderful opportunity to hire someone and give them that notice, like that information of like, we'd love for you to join our team. It's one of the most wonderful conversations. I love it. It's very, very fulfilling. Um, and I'm very clear that this is a two-way street. You know, this isn't like me doing you a favor by giving you a job. Uh, mm-hmm. We're relying on you for your skill set, the assets, the, the experience that you bring to the company and what you're going to do for us in as much as we're giving you the opportunity to earn income. Um, it's, it's very much two way. And just like, you know, from a perspective of performance reviews, you know, when you ask, when you tell somebody, here's how you're doing and here's, you know, opportunities, it's important to also say, and you know, the, the uh, what do they call it? Like uh, upward review or, it, you know, it, the idea is to ask them and what can I do? How can I improve in how I perform to help you perform better? Like, what can I do to help you be more successful in your role too? And the same way, like when somebody's being onboarded and hired, like you tell them, like, here's the things you need to know to do your job well, baseline. Anything else that you're curious about, interested and want to take initiative, jump in on any meeting. Nothing is private. Pretty much nothing's private. Um, (laughs) Maybe sensitive. I don't think I've ever heard of that anywhere. I mean, it's, is it unique? I don't know. The, the reality is you can make that available. How often is somebody going to take advantage of it? It happens. Not, not like a hundred percent people will jump in. Absolutely. We, when we were in the office, we have a, a leadership meeting every Monday morning. And when we're in the office, our conference room had a huge garage door, sort of like the homage to the startup in the garage. So we would leave the door open because yeah, it's a leadership meeting but it's not private and everything we're discussing there affects everyone else. And if you're interested, you can either just overhear the conversation or you can pull a chair up and sit with us. It's not like a private meeting. Um, so if you want to join anything and you're curious about what's going on, join any meeting you want. You want to jump in and take initiative on something else, go for it. My favorite is when someone says, I'd love to listen to some customer calls, sales, customer service, because then they really understand the root of what it is that we're doing, what we're trying to provide and what the reaction and, and, and sentiment is from our customers. That's fantastic. Um, so it sounds like you're really, you're, you're really involved in the process. Uh, would, would you say that you're, uh, I don't want to lead you towards an answer here, but I, I think I already did. Would you say you're, you're more process oriented or results oriented? Uh, in, in terms of what you kind of value yourself and also from what you expect from your employees? That's a great question. If I have to pick one, because they're both important, in my opinion, I, I think I'm more focused on, on the process than the results itself. The results can always land where you hope to get them based on the process themselves. So I wouldn't really worry about the results. To me, it's about the journey, not the destination. So you might have uh, you know, KPIs, key performance indicators that you're tracking that will help gauge whether you're hitting your objectives and your goals. That's great. You want to get to your goals, but ultimately you want to get them in the most appropriate manner. You want to get them with, um, with the best process in place. So yeah, I think I'm more focused on the process because the results, the numbers will follow the process. So, it, mm. it, you know, you do a good job in the process, success will come, it'll follow it. So the other thing I, I, I actually, uh, the concept that was introduced to me by some of our, our people internally, I think it was, I think it might've been Jordan, who's our, our head of product. I think he's VP of product actually, uh, to be technically accurate. Um, several years ago, he introduced the concept of vanity metrics, which mm-hmm. is basically the difference between things that matter and don't really matter. Oftentimes, and since this is a sales podcast, we look at sales numbers, the results, how many sales did you get? 
you look at, you know, maybe conversion rate, cost of acquisition, all these, those are important to look at. But if you want to be honest, sales is a sales numbers results is a vanity metric. Whereas, which defined by like, not doesn't actually provide in like detailed depth and qualitative um, uh, information. Retention is, uh, is more of a, a success KPI metric that you want to follow because I can, for instance, I could sell you any service or product all day. The question is, did it meet your needs and are you happy with it? And if you're canceling, if it cost me $100 to acquire a new customer based on the time I spent in that conversation and they only spend 20 minutes because you oversold them, well, or they only spend like $20 on your service, like you lost $80. Right. So sales is a vanity metric. So to me, the process, making sure you have a strong process, the, the results they they'll be there. They'll get to where you want to go as long as you have a strong process in place. So uh, I guess so track what like, matters, measure what matters. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's the title of, of the, of the actual book. <laughs> <laughs> but also focusing on retention is the, the primary metric for, for a sales team. You know, it's like so far down the line and it's like, right. you know, you, you make the sale in January and they're become customer and you're looking at like, you're judging the sales person by like what is happening a year later or, you know, months later, you know, I don't know. That that, yeah. how There's you so many places this. where the salesperson, yeah. the initial salesperson makes these big promises that aren't going to happen. And then you have a really frustrated client who's not, you know, it, it would be interesting. What if you judge someone and the bonus only came after the renewal or something. So we do that. I mean, oh, we could talk, I could talk to you for hours about, I didn't know that that wasn't planted. <laughs> like both our processes, our principles and our, you know, let's call them high level uh, overview of how we actually compensate in sales and track and all that stuff. But it does come down. There's an initial, there's an initial reward, you know, for, for making a sale, but then there's also bonuses based on retention and success. So that includes when we talk about, about retention, and there, there are callbacks. Like if somebody cancels, you might lose a percentage of what you earned in this one little window, this period, if we feel like you oversold. And there's ways to actually do our best to objectively quantify that or maybe qualify is the right term, um, you know, as opposed to just relying on you know, hearsay. But we, we look at, so there's, you know, there's the moment of sale. That's important. But then there's like a 28-day, 90-day, 120-day retention rate. Obviously, you should expect your retention numbers to diminish over the longevity. Um, but then there's also LTV, light, lifetime value of that customer. Right. And you want to also now look at verticals or personas of your customers based on, on who they are, how, what, how they're behaving, how much they're spending, where, you know, geo-based and service types or what, what it is that they're doing. You can, we can spend hours talking about how you actually uh, qualify a customer and how you quantify their success and value for your company, as well as the value that they have received from your company and the service that you provide to them. But we definitely look at it from a, a 28 day, um, 90 day and 120 day retention rate, because we want to see hmm. also behavior patterns. If we see that, you know, an agent who's selling um, our product has really strong sales numbers and his 90 day retention rate is terrible, he's overselling. Let's go back and do some QA. Let's find out what is being said in those conversations to get to the point. Because in most times, it's not, it's not like, you know, nefarious behavior. They're not doing this to try to gain the system. Maybe they're new. Maybe they just need some added training and guidance. Mm -hmm. If somebody has, you know, you know, pretty decent sales numbers, 90 days, pretty strong, but then 
you know, they're not, they're 120 day ink rate. Let's look at that. What is the breakdown? And you can actually start looking at uh, sales classes by, by team, mm-hmm. uh, by who it is, the type of contractor or in our case, the customers that they're serving, but also the sales rep themselves. So what are the behavior patterns that we can follow? And is there ways to, to continue to train and improve that individual and their capacity to, to do a good job representing your business? Looking, looking at like, you know, sales classes, agents, teams, what they're selling, all this stuff, but, but like, like finding behavior patterns in, in their, in their, uh, in their results. Hmm. That's fantastic. Um, all right. So one, one last question, uh, before we wrap up, uh, something we, we've really kind of our, our favorite part of the, the podcast so far in our brief life as podcasters. Um, <laughs> what, what do you, how do you make yourself better at your job? Uh, what do you read, listen to books, podcasts, uh, what, what's, or what makes you better at being you? Yeah, that, that, okay. This is a great question. Cause it, it sort of revisits one of your early, maybe pushbacks or sentiments about one of my core values, which is, you know, curiosity and both minded at a certain point, like, you know, what's not worth and all, and you know, how are you spending your time? And, um, are you never satisfied? I got to a point where, some number of years ago, I really started diving deep into the business, the leadership, um, social psychology, the, I don't know, behavioral economics and um, inspirational stories, like about books like that and, and podcasts. And um, I got deeper and deeper and consuming more and more. And I was like learning a lot. I did that because I recognized that I had a lot to learn and grow as, as a leader um, and as an individual in this world. And so I started doing, and then I realized about two years ago that I was in this vicious cycle that was unsatiable. Like I, like I was always like trying to fit in more content, more content, more content. And I realized that I'm never going to get through all the books, podcasts, articles, frankly, movies, TV shows that are out. I'm never going to get through all of it. And there's great stuff out there. And just step back, calm yourself. It's going to be okay. Consume what you can and move on. And I also like recognize that if, if you're, if you're reading, you know, however fast or slow you read, I'm pretty slow, but if you're reading um, book after book after book, how likely is it or practical that you're going to implement all of the learnings from that book into, you know, work or life? It's unreasonable. So I actually set a goal for myself that the only thing I want to take away from every piece of content book, mm-hmm. article, podcast is, is one, one learning, one principle, one idea, one concept that I can introduce into my life. One thing, a perfect example would be Ray Dalio's book principles, which is filled with hundreds mm-hmm. of principles and, and ideas, most of which I think are, have, you know, merit and value. Are you really going to implement all that into your life? No, you'll drive yourself crazy, basically trying to be somebody you're not. So just take one thing. And that to me is worth the 18 18- the book or your $15 a month or audible. Uh, if that's how you consume, I actually like doing both at the same time. Um, so yeah, I started getting into like a lot of these like leadership business books, um, authors like Brene Brown, Adam Grant, Daniel Pink, uh, Daniel Kahneman, Simon Sinek. And the nice thing about that is most of these authors, if you, if you're not a reader, which is totally fine, I wasn't until I was an adult, you can, you know, if, look thinking about um, neurodiversity. So basically different ways that people process information and learn and how they think differently and all that stuff. You can find inspirational content 
in any way that you learn best. So if you're a visual learner, uh, you know, things like TikTok or, or, or Instagram are, are filled with people who are, they call themselves, uh, you know, uh, what's it called, um, influencers, but I mean, yeah. it's just good information that to consume as long as it's like valuable, uh, to you. Uh, but I found myself that it's, it's beyond just reading, uh, magazines, books and all that stuff like podcasts. Tim Ferriss show is a big one for me, how I built this. I like just like hearing stories of how people solve problems. Um, we can do hard things with Glennon Doyle. I found to be just a really nice podcast about hard topics, uh, usually in your personal life, which is great. This American life against stories. Uh, I also like the rewatchables. If you're into like movies, like I am, I find to be the perfect balance between, you know, the overly I've, sophisticated. I've they like, they like watch old, older movies, Not movies that, that they claim like, yeah. that they deem are so good. They're rewatchable. Mm. And then they just pick them apart for two hours. It's sophisticated conversation, often lighthearted humor, but it's just like a great balance. And then other thing like YouTube, Ted talks and LinkedIn for that matter, you can find any one of those authors giving lectures, speeches, conversations, interviews on any of these things. So if you, if you rather listen or, or view a video, like there is just content everywhere. It's awesome. Um, so I'm a big fan of like consuming content, like while I'm driving, not video, <laughs> uh, audio content. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and anytime I have like a void, a you know, negative space in my day, as long as it's not taking away or detracting from like, let's call it my Zen meditative time to, to, uh, to relax and, and reprocess. Fantastic. Noah Mishkin, man of many, man of many core values. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Um, as you can see, I love talking. And one of my core values I need to work better on is uh, listening more. So uh, I appreciate being here. This is great. I'm excited to to listen to the first few episodes. Uh, and so I'm Coming gonna soon. I'm gonna I'm just gonna binge those. And then I'm I'm <laughs> really excited to watch where you guys uh, take the company, the business, and the podcast further. It's gonna be great. Thanks for joining us for today's brew. Like what you heard? Let the world know. Leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Subscribe now so you never miss an exciting episode. See you soon!